0: Lots of texts reacting to the Monday menu. Chronic is the double-baked potato that gets made better by the steak. <laughs> Hughes on the plate. That's oh, really good, really good. I like it. Um, <laughs> delicious dessert is a piece of chocolate cake from Purdy's. Hashtag #49er haters.
1: <laughs> Purdy's chocolate.
0: Uh, he looked. He looked Purdy yesterday. Never stop with the bad jokes. All right, let's bring in our next guest. It is Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Check TV. Uh, thanks for this, Donnie. Uh, we saw you guys were going down memory lane with Rick Tockett today.
2: Yeah, a little bit. We talked to him about Mike Keenan, who a former Canuck coach, who was his first coach in the National Hockey League, and he had a great story about <laughs> how uh, Keenan scratched him one day then didn't like the look of somebody in warm-up. So I decided to put uh, talking in the lineup after he had eaten the press box meal. So he had to play the game on a full stomach. It just, uh, you know, something you'd, you'd expect from from Mike Keenan. But it was uh, it was a, a lot of fun. He was relaxed today. It was a day off for them.
1: What was your favorite Mike Keenan as a Vancouver Canuck moment or story? Like, do you have one? I mean, he did. some I mean, the trades, obviously. But there, was there something that stood out to you in terms of Mike Keenan <laughs> yeah. in Vancouver?
2: Uh, well, yeah, there's there, a couple, but. For, First and foremost, like I know you're not going to believe this, I couldn't believe what a nice guy he was. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, like, he he's very nice in person. You're right. I've met him a couple yeah. of times. Very nice man.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was like, who is this? Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, like I, I I was stunned
2: by it. Like, uh, but the, my number one memory, it, that's easy, is his very first practice, and just the, the I I remember at Sports Page, and I was reporting back then. It was like forty-five minutes long, and it was hell. It was—I've never seen players sweat like that ever. This was his introduction to the team, and I'll never forget a shot of Dave Babbage. God love Dave, but it just—he was just—he it looked like so like he was in the shower, like it, it was just—it was so difficult this practice he had. I'll just never ever forget it, and I swear to God that during the practice you could see him kind of snickering. Like, he just loved it. Rick Tockett made a point today. He said that back in the day, you know, like, you know, his understanding, before he got in the league, the practices were two hours long. Keenan comes in, and he had a, a university approach. He's a smart guy, a scholar, and he would run his practices, really difficult practices, 45, 50 minutes, and that was it. They were tough, but they didn't last long. They never got boring. And so, and, and you've heard him say a couple of times this year, more than a couple, where they ran quick practices, real quick, high paced practices. And I think the players appreciated that. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget just how exhausted those players were. He really took them by surprise. And again, the other thing was just how nice a guy he was. Like, I just expected him to be telling everybody to F off left and right. And it just, <laughs> it, it, in the media, and it, it, it might have happened a couple of times, not, not to that extent where he got a little bit snippy, but you get that with every coach, but by and large, I just couldn't believe how nice he was. Uh,
0: Rick talking. I think we've all kind of, uh, you know, it, it was such strange circumstances that he took over the team and everything that had happened with Boudreaux and... Uh, Now here we are. It it seemed as though, and look, there was even a few booze for his first games at at Rogers arena because everybody was just uh, so in love with Boudreau at Rogers arena, right? The Bruce, there it is chance and all that. But now 61 games into Rick Tockett's head coaching career with the Vancouver Canucks. He has the best points percentage of any coach through 60 games of a Canucks career. And He's pretty much won everybody over. I'm not uh, telling any tales out of school there, but what for you has been his biggest impact with the team, Donnie?
2: Well, first of all, I'm going to write that stat down and steal it for <laughs> tomorrow's show. So I, I, I thank you for that. Yeah, that's, that's, no problem. That's great.
0: Checks in the mail, I, I, I know.
2: Yeah, I just think that, you know, that I, I like that he, he scratched Kuzmenko and explained himself. And, you know, the, the second time he scrapped him, he'd won the night before. So it was kind of obvious he, he said it as much. But also, you know, he benched J.T. Miller at one point as well. And, you know, I think in both cases, certainly in the case of Miller, it turned out to be the right move. We'll see what happens with, with Kuzmenko. I think the players have respect and maybe just a little bit of fear of him. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't want your boss to be a pushover. I think that's that's just fine. I just I really enjoyed listening to him talk about the game of hockey. He's got some different terms. I mean, did you guys hear that the scissor play the other day? Like I, yeah. I'm like what the hell? I think so, somebody in the scrum. Thank God, asked him what it was all about. And and, and there's, there's been some other things like you, know, you have to, you know, step back on the winger and just different things yeah. that he says. But he says them with such conviction. It's just really interesting hearing him talk and just how passionate. He is a, a, about the game. The other thing too is, man, he's a hoser. I mean, he's right out of Bob and Doug. I yeah. mean, it's 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 beautiful <laughs> to listen to. I I really enjoy listening to him. I don't think the players are going to get tired of him. He's just got a real energy about
1: him. Well, and he also seems pretty unfazed now. Now I know he hasn't really hit. Uh, the skids in Vancouver yet, right? He hasn't hit uh, a real tough patch yet where people are questioning him as a coach and questioning Hmm. the team and and having an existential crisis like it happens so often here in Vancouver. So he hasn't felt that yet, but it seems like he's, he's pretty unfazed and I'm pretty impressed by that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like even right now, I know we got an interview today. We talked to him about, you know, the consistency aspect, which he talks about all the time. And they've they've alternated losses and wins the last eight games, and and um, yeah, he, he it, it just doesn't seem he's been through a lot in his in his hockey life. So he's he's seen it all. I don't think he gets phased by much. That by the way, that day's coming. He's gonna he, they're gonna struggle. It's just, we all know that it's gonna happen. But I just think that he's been there before. He can refer back to that. He can talk to his players about the times he's he's. He's had to recover from that mostly as a player, not as a coach. But he still had to do it, and I don't know. He just seems he seems right for this market uh, right now.
0: You know, uh, obviously, we we knew the Canucks wouldn't stay on the torrid pace that they they started the season with. But Sat and I were just discussing. You know, they're they're five hundred over their last twelve. The penalty kill has gone to no levels that we saw the last couple of years. They they're under seventy percent the last couple of weeks, and the power play hasn't been going as well. But I I almost feel like, and maybe I'm just uh, too much of a glass half full kind of guy, Donnie. Like the fact that they've gone 500 here in what's been a period we all can pretty much see they're not playing all that well. I think that's that's also a testament to to how the team has, has changed a little bit. They're still finding ways to win when they're not at their best.
2: I think that Vegas game took a lot out of him. And again, he talked about that today, and he's he's still you th- know. I kind of I didn't really want to ask him the question. That I I know, look I know you don't want to look, back, but you could tell it bothered him. Yeah. And the thing that I liked about it is that, it, what you know, referring to what you were just asking, is that they bounced back, and and they played a, you know not not a perfect game but a decent game, and they got a win on the road in Calgary a couple of nights later. I think you know, uh, Canuck teams of the past would have folded after a loss like that after coming in with high expectations and really laying an egg against against a very good Vegas team but nonetheless not not what they expected against them and then coming back a couple of nights later on the road against a division rival and they and they came through with two points i just don't think that that would happen before so yeah it's not the torrid pace they had earlier but there's still some there's still some positive signs there and i'm not so sure we'd see that in the past
1: And I think that's part of the maturation at some point. And I mean, Taka did mention with you guys that practice habits, he still feels like there, there are things they can hone in on. There's another level they can find. So as much as he's encouraged by what they've done, it seems like even collectively, they think this group, and I know they feel like they have to make additions, but I still think this group can play. Even when they won a lot of games earlier this season, I still think there's another level they can play at that we haven't seen yet.
2: Yeah, I think an indication of that is that they went out and got Zadorov.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that they're still talking about Ethan Bear, and then today, you know, Rick was talking about you know the possibility of you know them being interested in Tyson Bear. Now that that you know that's maybe pie in the sky, maybe that's reaching too much, but th- there's something there where they're talking about adding. We never would have guessed that at the start of the season, by the way, but there's something there where there is a belief that this group can do something. And that they could do a lot better than they did against, uh, against against Vegas. That was really disappointing, but it was nowhere near their best effort. And I think they can they can get there with maybe a tweak or two. Uh,
0: a lot of that has to do with uh, Elias Patterson, who played a much better game on Saturday than we've seen him recently. Uh, it does raise a few questions, though, right? Uh, that we've seen Patterson have success with Mikheyev and, and Lafferty and the the partnership with Andre Kuzmenko just hasn't quite had as much success as it did last year. I, I wonder, you know, like if Kuzmenko's fit isn't with Elias Pettersson, where, where does he fit in this forward group? It's we haven't really seen him have success anywhere else in the lineup.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, then the obvious answer would be, I mean, he's the top side. He's I don't think he's playing him in the bottom six. So, uh, uh, although, like. I couldn't imagine garland there at one point but he's been just fine In fact, more than more than just fine i i think anyway maybe the minority there but yeah i think you try with with miller maybe on that wrong wing you know on the on the opposite side and, and see what hap- happens there and look we make a lot about lines we all do but they change and they change in minor hockey they change in junior hockey and they can change within a game but i think he's looking for a, something's not working rick talk it's not the kind of guy who's going to bang his head against the wall he's going to He's going to try make a change there. I like Lafferty with Pedersen. He wakes people up. Uh, Di Giuseppe's obviously slipped. I, I think you got to try Kuzmenko with somebody who might, you know, stare him in the eye and scare the hell out of him like Miller. So, you know, give it a shot. I just – the one thing, and I think, Sat, you were talking about this today, about, you know, Kuzmenko and Besser, if they're on the same line, is there enough speed? Who's the, who's yeah. the F1 guy there? Even with Miller, like who's mm-hmm. the guy who's getting in on the forecheck? So – that, that, that's a big question, Mark, but you got to try something.
1: No, I, I agree. I think you have to try something different, and it comes down to how the team plays, and I still think as much as we talk about the back end, and yes, that's a priority, right? They got off Susie will get healthy. They'll, they're still talking about Ethan Bear, but they can still use a forward, an F1 type, to play in the top six, and... That's that might be very you know lower on the wish list and harder to pull off, but I kind of feel like that's what we keep coming back to here. Is we're looking for some stop gaps to maybe carry twenty games. PDG did twenty four decent games with Miller. Now somebody else gets a chance in the top six. Like there's still that type of forward short to really shore up that top six.
2: Yeah, and and somebody who can not only make do that F one role, the first four checker, first forward in in on the on the puck but maybe in a perfect world to contribute some offense Mm -hmm. too. You know, it's one thing to have speed. It's another thing to have hands and the ability to put the puck in the the net. But I just get the feeling that they really like what they've done with their defense, but I think there's one more move uh, there before it's over.
0: I, I'm really curious, and maybe I'm thinking too far ahead here. What it all looks like in in the playoffs, you know? Because yeah. if you get Susie Myers and uh, Zadorov all healthy in the playoffs, I mean that's it's a lot of heft on the back end, right? And um, even Myers, like thinking back to the the bubble playoffs, Donnie, like. He played a much more physical game uh, when you know the stakes were amped up a little bit in, in those playoff games against Minnesota, St. Louis, and Vegas.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm also wondering when when Susie comes back about that left side and what happens. Who who moves over? Is it going to be Susie? Is it going to yeah. be Zadorov or Cole? We were told Cole and Susie don't mind playing that right right side. But are are we at a point now where we're looking forward to the playoffs? Are we probably. looking ahead to the play. Can we do that in Vancouver? You know, I and when, when I say we, I don't yeah. mean the team. I mean, I don't want to you know be one of those media guys who uses the word we. But 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 I mean, as as the fans out there, can you look ahead to the playoffs? But you know, it's kind of exciting when you do. When you think about what the fan base has been through, what Connect Connect Nation has has been through, and they do see like you mentioned Myers, and he certainly takes his shot shots around here. And then you look at Zadora, there's physicality there, the kind of thing that could work in the playoffs. It's it's it can be pretty exciting, but again, I'm a Vancouverite. I'm not we're we're in December here early. We're going to take it easy here.
1: Uh, We'll be a little bit conservative with it, but we'd have
0: to lose six straight to fall out of a, and and even then they might not fall out of a wild card spot. The way to go.
1: Now they're going to lose six. straight. (laughs) 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 Don't jinx it, Dan. No, I don't believe in jinxes anyways, but I was thinking about this blue line and like, this might be the biggest blue line we've ever seen in connects history, right? Like once you get Susie back, you have Susie, you have Zadorov, you have Myers um, and even Ian Cole, who's a big man. I mean, this this might yeah. be the biggest defense. Like I, I even thought back to the '92 teams. Like we talked about, Merson was a big guy, but he was like six two. Yeah. Like he wasn't like yeah. a six five monster. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's where it was back then. You think guys were huge. you yeah. just Look back. and oh, geez. They were, <laughs> compared to today's players, uh, they really weren't. And then when you look at this blue line now, and you know the two best defensemen are the, are the two small guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, you know, it's just I again I go back and I've talked about this on the show before. Uh, with you guys that though that game against Vegas late of the season last year and Rick talked glowing about Vegas's blue line how big it was how mobile it was big and mobile and and with with some toughness there and it seems like the Canucks are listening to him uh Alvina Rutherford and that's what they've gone out and done and it's pretty impressive how quickly they moved uh, and th- it's obvious too that they respect Rick Talkin's opinion. They went out and got these guys, and that's you know if if it can come close to being like Vegas's blue liner, you know Tampa, St. Louis, the teams that have won this down, big guys on those blue lines. It's been it's been pretty impressive how quickly they moved on that.
0: So uh, I'm in the mood to, like, get way ahead of myself on, on, uh, on some things, as, as mentioned with the playoffs, Donnie. But uh, the battle of the brothers Hughes is tomorrow, right? Uh, Jack and, and Luke are coming to town. Uh, will the Hughes brothers eclipse the record of most points combined in the NHL for, for brothers, which is currently held by Wayne and Brent?
2: <laughs> that that might be the best uh, sports stat ever, the best <laughs> trivia question ever.
0: 2,857 is, points for Wayne, four for Brent Gretzky. Uh, it, it's just <laughs> the
2: best. Uh, it is like uh, there's no better question. At all. I think – now, do the Sutters have more – the six of them,
0: you know what? The six Sutter brothers might actually have more points. Yeah,
2: well, they kind of have a bit of an advantage, right?
0: <laughs> dude. But... I'm not sure they do. Like, you should I, do the You know math. what? I'm yeah.
1: not sure either. I, sh- I should know. This Gretzky stuff, had but... 2,857 points. It's insane.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. no, you're right, Donnie. Donnie's always right. The six yeah. brothers of the Sutter family have combined yeah. for 2,934 oh, wow. points. yeah, wow. yeah. 73 more than Wayne and Brent. But it was six Uh, of them.
2: (laughs) There you go. Like I said, they had a bit of an advantage. I worked in Red Deer for about three years. I I shouldn't even say this story because I kind of felt, tell this story because I kind of felt sorry for the guy. But the head coach of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, Calgary Canucks, who we covered, I was covering a team called the Red Deer Rustlers back then. It, It was Gary Sutter, the one Sutter who didn't make it. In the, in, the, in the National Hockey League. And, I, you know, I was really young back then. I did, never had the balls to ask him. you know, what does it feel like, you know, like being the one guy. So I never did. But, uh, hey, listen, six guys make it to the National Hockey League. Uh, what what an accomplishment. But uh, will the Hughes get there? I don't know. But I, first they got to catch Brent and, and Wayne, and then they can focus on the setters.
0: Exactly. Uh, Donnie, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this.
2: Always fun, guys. Thanks so much.
0: Uh, there he is. Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, ten to noon on Czech T V and he joins us every Monday here on Canuck Central. It is uh it's still the yes. Uh so they hold the record for most points by two brothers and uh any other combination of brothers outside of The six brothers that were the setters.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Um, Yeah, I mean nobody's touching the two thousand eight hundred fifty-seven. Yeah, like nobody's touching that. Like his goal scoring record, maybe Ovechkin takes that. Although he's been off, he's had his struggles so far this year. Like that one can fall. Nobody's touching two thousand eight hundred and fifty-seven points. No, it's not happening. (laughs) The game has to change so dramatically. For that to be even be a consideration,
0: uh, it it would be uh it would be fun to see a, to see it happen. Uh, poor uh poor Brent Gretzky though, just four points, <laughs> just four points. <laughs> but he's always remembered for this one statistic. Uh, it is Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. We'll dive uh, more into the battle of the brothers Hughes. Tom Canavan is going to join us uh, covering the New Jersey Devils for Associated Press. They're in town tomorrow night. We'll discuss that and more coming up on Canuck Central.
3: The most opinionated Canucks show out there Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com Canada for a smart demonstration. It's Canuck Central. Uh, Johnny Bubala. Doesn't Gretzky have more assists than anyone has points? Yes, yes. that is correct. That is correct. That will forever be the story in the National Hockey Wayne League.
1: Gretzky, pretty good at hockey.
0: <laughs> Wayne I, I think he was good. Uh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, as much as uh, the Hughes brothers might be good as a trio, probably will still not outscore uh, the brothers Gretzky uh, yeah. through their careers.
1: Yeah, it's not happening.
0: Well, what if Jack Hughes scores like 1,200, Quinn has 1,000, and then maybe Luke gets another, what, 700 he would need? If that, if all those things happen? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's possible. In any case, the Battle of the Brothers Hughes tomorrow at Rogers Arena. Let's, uh, bring in our next guest covering the New Jersey Devils at the Associated Press. It's Tom Canavan. Thanks for this, Tom. How are you? Very good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing, uh, we're doing pretty well. Pretty excited for uh, this trio of stars, all brothers, uh, to go up against each other. Now, you know, the Devils have had the uh, Canucks number over the last couple of years. But just from your perspective, um, especially on Luke Hughes first, uh, how's he look to you here in his rookie season?
3: He really skates well. I mean, he's it, the game's not too big for him, obviously. Um, he's just like his brother Jack, although, you know, it it uh it, it took him a while to become a more accomplished player. I've, in his first couple of years, I mean, he missed the net more than he found it, and he had some injuries, and uh, so it, it, you know I expect some growing pains.
1: In in terms of how he plays defensively, Luke Hughes and the trust he has from the head coach, like where do you think his game can grow the most as a young rookie defenseman?
3: I think he needs to bulk up a little more. Um, He's not, he's more a skater than a hitter. Um, But he, you know, his skating ability is on par with any defenseman I've seen. Um, And I've seen Leach and I've seen Park and, you know, the guys who went through New York. So, I mean, he's got that great ability. Um, But a defenseman in this league has got to be able to bang. And he's just got to bulk up
0: yeah it's uh you know a story of a uh, for a lot of young players is uh you need that time to to, to grow up mature a little bit into your body and, and we saw that even with jack hughes as you mentioned through the first couple of years of his career but he's become quite the superstar uh how's he been since coming back uh, from injury he's
3: been really good i think he was the third star this week
0: so i mean it, yeah. it's uh
3: it it's Like, he never missed a game. I mean, the first game back, I believe, was against the Rangers, and he was flying all over the place. And uh, so, I mean, you know, whatever it was that was bugging him, I love the NHL upper body, lower body. Give me a break. It's an injury. Um, But uh, he's, he's
1: fine. Well, and the thing with Jack is, I mean, you mentioned you've you've seen some incredible players throughout the years uh, covering uh, the teams out there, especially the Devils. And the Devils obviously have had maybe the best goaltender of all time in Mark or Look at the defensemen as well, and a lot of good forwards. But in terms of pure talent and just pure scoring ability, I, I know he's young, but Jack Hughes, may he be the single most talented forward to lace lace them up for the Devils if he keeps going this way?
3: Oh, absolutely. I, I've seen Patrick, Patrick Elias throughout his career. And Jack just can do so much more, I think Patrick might have been a better two way player um but you know Jack's talent is on a level that you know you just don't see um It's like he was one of those guys who was drafted first overall, and a lot of them don't pan out or the you know the expectation is too much this kid is this kid is everything.
0: You know it's a uh, it's tough uh, metropolitan division and the, the Devils even though uh, slightly above 500 sitting there near the bottom of it. Um, how much of this is just due to goaltending? Right now they've got the the second worst save percentage at five on five this season in the NHL.
3: Yeah, I mean both guys had good years last year. I mean Schmidt didn't get much of a run until the playoffs, and Vandacek was really good all year. But you know this year is totally different, and I have a problem with. I think they may have let people walk who they didn't realize were good players for them. Um, uh, Ryan Graves, I think was an outstanding defenseman who just fit into a role with them. Damon Severson. Um, those guys provided a lot that's missing. I mean, I've seen more odd man rushes this year mm-hmm. than I think I saw all last year. I mean, it's uh Their defensive effort is is weak this year.
1: Well, and I think, you know, watching the Devils, that's kind of my takeaway as well. We can blame goaltending because it's, it's always something that's easy to point to. And yes, I mean, you, you, you know, the, they've always given up maybe some goals they shouldn't. But when you put your goaltender, goaltender in a position to give up odd man chances, at some point that dam's going to break. And I guess that was going to be my question. You kind of answered it. But did they underestimate uh, how difficult it is to turn over that many players on the back end and then try to incorporate a rookie into a big role like Luke Hughes?
3: Right, absolutely, and I mean, it, it. it's, like I said, he's a very young and exciting player, but what you give up is a solid defensive presence with the other two players, and uh, the Devils, as much as they were a very good offensive team last year, they knew how to play both ends of the ice, and this year it's they can still score with anybody, but their defensive effort is, is pathetic at times.
0: I know um, when the Devils acquired Timo Meyer, there was a lot of excitement and signing him to the contract they did over the summer. It's like, hey, you've got the the core of the next great Devils team all locked in for a long time, and still more products coming with Luke Hughes and some other uh, some other prospects. But hasn't been so great for Timo Meyer this year. What are you seeing out of the the big power forward? Well, he he. Sh- Last year, he really
3: didn't even live up to what they got him for. Right. Um, uh, even if you look at the playoffs, there was they were right in the series with Carolina, and he missed an open net in, in a crucial situation, and Carolina just went and won the series after that. Um, he is scoring a little bit more now, but he is certainly not scoring at the rate he did with San Jose. And uh, maybe it was in he was in San Jose so so long he was so familiar with his linemen it was no problem. But
1: you know I'll give him you know give him a year see if he can find his his way. As far as Nico Heiser sure is concerned, uh, he was activated of IR a little while back, and you know he's had a few uh, decent games here in terms of production. How does he look, and how how big a loss is he when he's not in the lineup? Oh.
3: He is, he's the glue for that team. I mean, Jack is obviously the star, but Nico does it all. Face-offs, penalty kill, he can score, he plays on the power play. He's kind of this unsung hero who was a former number one, but I mean, most people, because he doesn't score at the rate Jack does these days, he tends to be overlooked. Mm-hmm. But he does so much for this team, and him being out, was a was a serious problem
0: hey tom uh, really appreciate your time today thanks for this no problem guys enjoy the game tomorrow night uh there is tom canavan associated press joining us here covering the new jersey devils who are in town tomorrow night
1: yeah and i mean they're a team you know he mentions it i, I still think ultimately by the end of the season they make the playoffs uh you know my Capitals. They just don't have the same talent New Jersey does, and if that's the bar, I think they'll be able to get past them at some point here. Um, but I'm, I'm not, not going like to say odds. it.
0: But Stradamus called it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm saying it now. Stradamus called it at the start of the year. Ah, pump the brakes on the Devils. What, it's, I'm worried about how they're going to defend this year. Well, I was, and and, and listen,
1: I don't worry about them long term. Yeah, right cuz I think I'm like hey, you have so many talented players, they have more coming, they have prospects, they have assets. There's a lot to like about the Devils, but I just don't view them as as formidable as they were last year. Just so much inexperience. And taking out guys like Ryan Graves and I do agree maybe Ryan Graves is somewhat overrated, but the role he was playing for that team, the, the experience he had.
0: It's it's hard to disagree with their ass- assessment of not wanting to give those particular players Severson or yeah. Graves the contracts that they ended up getting in free agency but that doesn't discount the fact that there might still be some growing pains recovering from those losses.
1: Yeah, Luke Hughes is a rookie defenseman. Rookie
0: defenseman,
1: no matter how good you are, Probably you're gonna have some gaps in your game, right? And there's gonna be some issues where you still have to gain experience. It takes some time for guys to really, you know, find their game. And then after that, you're like, you're you're not talking about higher end guys like it's Jonas Siegenthaler, who's decent. You got Kevin Ball, Simon Nemec hasn't really uh, has hasn't really arrived yet. They're waiting for him to arrive, which shows he's just played his first game. Yeah, right? so it's like he's he's you know he's one of those guys that obviously have a they're very high on. He had a couple points I think in his in his debut.
0: Yeah. You take Dougie Hamilton out of their decor, and it's like, well, they don't have. Have a number one now. No, and they have guys with potential, yeah. like
1: Nemec and, and Hughes, but it might be a couple years. So I just wonder about their overall ceiling. I still think they're a good hockey team, but I just don't view them as a contender or, or like a cup contender this year. Yeah,
0: and the Meyer... The, like, the start to Meyer's Devils career has been really poor yeah he did score nine goals in the first 20 like in 21 games last year which isn't bad like it's yeah. you know nine and 21 but he's got he, five so far this year yeah he hasn't and, gotten loose in just year. 15 games but he you know for a guy that's making close to nine million bucks he just hasn't had the same impact that we've expected to see out of Timo Meyer. so was there a miscalculation on what Timo Meyer is power forward that can just score for days.
1: Yeah. Like he's a power forward who can score goals. And he had the one year uh, you know he had well, he had like 30 goals in 57 games or whatever yeah. it was. Outside of that, he's had a 35 goal year and a 30 goal year. Yeah. He's got his his goals have been 30, 35. Mm-hmm. Like he hasn't been a 40 plus goal scorer yet in the NHL. No. So, I think that it was like the the thought was, hey, he's going to become that. Now he goes to New Jersey, he's going to be a 40 goal guy every year. But if he's going to score 30, 35, be a power winger. Yeah. That's not an $8.5 million player. That's more of a seven and a half, maybe $8 million player. But he's maybe overpaid by 800000 Now, if he's a 40-goal scorer plus, then he's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't care. I mean, he's scoring 40. I just don't know if he's ever actually that type of goal scorer. So maybe there will be a burden on him in terms of, maybe not being the guy he's getting paid to be truly based on overall ability. It's like Bo to some extent. Like Bo's yeah. a good center, and this year he's on pace with well, 28 goals, 60 points. But it's not an $8.5 million season. It's
0: uh, it's a tough spot. You know, they they look like, you know, with the way that they've set their, their roster up, this is one of the things about locking into um, a lot of, like, young guys early is it— you know, sort of handcuffs you. It removes a little bit of your flexibility. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that play into how the Devils have performed so far this season. Now, maybe they come out of it. Maybe a large part of it is poor goaltending that we've seen so far with their save percentages. But there have been some tough breaks defensively and missing Jack Hughes, Dougie Hamilton, Nico Heischer. All at different points this year, like yeah. that's that's tough for anybody to sustain.
1: Yeah, and I think they're going to be better than what their record is right now twenty three points in twenty two games. But yeah. they, I, I I still view them as a team that's kind of on the bubble, as opposed to being the contender. Whereas last year, once they kind of you know got through the Rangers, it was like okay, like maybe they can contend. The only question was goaltending. Can their goaltending ultimately hold up? And are they maybe slightly inexperienced with their with their top guys being so young? But outside of that, like they, they felt like a real contender. I think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're a contender. And that's why that matchup coming up tomorrow for the Canucks, like it's not a game, you know, you have to win, but it's a good opportunity here to pick up two points again.
0: Yeah. I uh I look at at the Devils as a team you can you can beat right now because yeah. they're going through some growing pains. You know, one of the things Uh, that has plagued them this year is a sub 70% penalty kill. So this is more to the defensive issues that they've had. And, you know, one of the things about the Canucks so far this year, it almost seems like no matter what, yeah, they've had their their games here and there where they haven't looked so strong defensively, but even though they're the highest goal-scoring team in the league based off a couple of games where they scored a bunch, yeah, (laughs) um, like, what's been the Canucks' identity is that they just don't give you much. Yeah. Right? As they're a stingy. Team, they're stingy, right? Yeah. They make it hard on you. I think we saw that quite a bit on Saturday, too, especially through the second period where yeah. it was very low event in mm-hmm. the second period on Saturday night. But when the Canucks have been at their best, they're a stingy team that creates a low event environment that they can essentially allow their stars to take advantage of. Where, if we're gonna create a game where it's next goal wins, we'll bet on our stars a lot of times that we can we can end up winning that matchup, and I think that's kind of the benefit of how the Canucks have created this environment and part of the reason they're off to this good start.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, somebody's texting it and saying, "Look at the save percentage for both Devils goalies, way below 900." It's because the environment is really bad in front of them. Like Tom was mentioning, odd man chances going the other way. How many times are we watching the Canucks give up odd man chances? Yes. We've seen the deeper analytics, sports logic about the rush chances. is one of the best teams in allowing rush chances, not yeah. allowing rush chances. They're one of the best teams in not allowing odd man chances. These are things that the team was really bad at last season. So sometimes when you look at some of the metrics it don't they don't show that as much that's yeah. that's readily readily available and it's easy to look at some of the metrics the devils have like well wow, they, they create scoring chances but the chances they're giving up those odd man chances are better than what the numbers would indicate or higher danger chances yes. whereas they're not creating the same amount of the same quality of chances going the other way so that's how they play a high event game and it's really costing them on the back end the Cucks are kind of doing that while it was kind of playing a high event game without creating offense yes. last year under bruce it was like they're just Bad. It was just yeah. like really bad hockey. Whereas with the Devils, it's they're creating a little bit, but they're not. They're giving up a lot. Vancouver is not really giving that stuff up. But so far, their offensive identity. If you're being kind, you say it's a work in progress.
0: I am not a fan of the Canucks' offensive identity to this point in the season. Well, have they established? Like, like I don't think they really have. No, I don't think they've established. Like, what is one. it? They're like our stars are good. <laughs> yeah, and we're talking five on five. Right? Yeah, we're
1: not. We're, so power play, you can say special teams and everything. Sure, but five on five, you're right. It's like stars doing star things. Yes. Bottom six chipping in,
0: but in terms of like how you're, Quinn Hughes creating something out of nothing, Pedersen creating something out of nothing, J.T. Miller sometimes too. They create a lot of
1: offense from their points. Yeah, you know they do, and that's something that. I know they want to use their points, but I don't think they want it to be the focal point that it has been. It is successful right now because they're getting shots through; it's it's working. They're tipping pucks well, in. Well, even
0: Saturday, like yeah, every goal was a point shot. Exactly.
1: Or- Th- that's not the type, the way you can play consistently. You know how um, the coach was mentioning double dive guys and stuff like yes. that, and and getting the backdoor trailer, getting the backdoor guy activated. So when you have guys like Juleson and Friedman who are, don't have a lot of confidence, how often have you seen them take the backdoor play offensively? Almost yeah. never. Yeah. So Doralov is going to do some of that. So I think you'll see that kind of cheat in. And if that starts happening, maybe it opens up some other things for them uh, offensively, potentially here. But I don't think they've established a four-check consistently. They don't have a real cycle game. They don't really no. have a strong down-low game. You know, They're, they're, they're not generating the st- a ton off the yeah. rush
0: yet in terms of scoring chances. At the start of the year, the four-check game That's what it was... was- their offensive identity and I think ultimately that's what Tockett wants it to be more of yeah but they just don't have enough of the guys to do it no at
1: least not to the level they want it to be at once
0: once Phil DiGiuseppe started losing his effectiveness at least you know we could see patterns of play from DiGiuseppe Miller and Besser early in the season that you know they would create that you know, win a puck down low, Miller yeah. gets it, and then he throws it out in front to Besser, who found some soft ice, and they try to score a goal that way. They did it the first game of the season, and they kept trying to create that same play, but they lost their effectiveness on the four-check, and that play started to dry up. I think their overall four-check effectiveness – has started to dry up as well.
1: And it was better against Calgary, especially having Lafferty with Pedersen and yeah. Mikaev. That was the team's best line. They were controlling shots. They were forechecking, winning pucks, turning pucks over, creating turnovers by the opposition and the offensive end. Like They were doing a lot of the things they wanted to do. Now it's about, can you get the Miller line going yep. too? And that's kind of where the challenge has been for this team. It's having both lines going at the same time, doing the same thing over this past 12-game stretch where they're 500. I think there's another layer coming offensively, but there is a question about, is there personnel liming, limiting them from being the team they want to be offensively? Right. And maybe, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even saying it has to be four or five guys changing. It literally could be the addition of one player. It could be the, the swap of another guy. Yeah. So if you are able to get a legitimate top six F1 four checker who has a little bit of pop, I think it really—you know—when McCabe came back, it just kind of changed all of a sudden. Garland goes down. I think if you can get that guy, legitimate
0: guy, in, if then you, you could have Lafferty. replace Garland salary with somebody that fits better into a top six role than he does right now with this team, and then Lafferty goes back to being the bottom six, yeah. and now
1: you can establish a forecheck with those lines, and then you have your top six rolling. I think they're a player short
0: from wanting to be what they want to be, yeah. offensively to, to to being what they want to be offensively. Because even if uh, you know somebody might say. Well, Garland and Joshua, they've they've performed really well. If you look at uh, Money Puck, their expected goals are well over 60%. They've they've done well as a line together. Why would you want to mess that up? Well, if I have to have less effectiveness out of my third line in order to gain more effectiveness out of my top line, then I'm going to make that swap every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So, that's what I would say about that, and we know, and we've talked about it. Garland just not a fit on the top two lines. Rick Tockett has even alluded to that as well. So, when I look at the top two lines right now, and I think about building an offensive identity, I can see how Mikheyev, Pedersen, and Lafferty work well together. But what does that mean for Kuzmenko? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Kuzmenko other than like a shift here and there can really fit with Miller and Besser. They need somebody that's going to be hard in on the four check, have some speed to them. And especially if you want that line to play a matchup role, then Kuzmenko's not really that guy. Like even last five minutes against Calgary, that line was on the ice when Lindholm scored the second goal that made it three, two. Well, yeah. And not that Kuzmenko was the problem, but but he was on the ice.
1: He was on the ice. And yeah, you're right. But, this is kind of why, and somebody's asking us, can, can you give us an example of an F1 forward? I think Mikheyev is one of those players. Like, Scott Speed can get in on the forecheck, has a little bit of offensive ability. He can play in your top six, right? Yeah. Barbashev is a guy that they were interested in, never got to free agency last Buzzsaw. year. He's exactly the type of player we're talking about yeah. here. very Zach hard. Hyman. Yeah, those are the types of guys. Now, Those are the high-end guys around the league. Mikheyev is maybe in between of a Hyman. You know, he's not going to score as much yeah. as Hyman, but maybe slightly lower, closer to what Barbashev is. Those are the types of players, I think, that are easier to acquire. They are available here and there to get. But those are the types of guys that can really facilitate play for your offensive skill players. And I think even defensively defending at times, when you have more speed on your wings, I think you close out a lot better as well. Mm -hmm. and you are able to get the pucks when you saw them against colorado for instance especially with the speed they have on the wings how many times when the canucks were in their own end and the guys were kind of defending at the circles the devils i mean the the colorado guys would explode towards the boards a lot faster faster pdg their their initial burst isn't great you know they, they can't get to pucks as quickly yeah and i think it makes it sometimes harder for them to get out of their own zone and also get to pucks offensively and when you have a guy like miller you want somebody that can dig pucks out for them in the offensive zone, and that's something they have to do more of.
0: Uh, get in, get in quick, and get on the puck. I wonder if maybe an iteration of the top six with Sam Lafferty could be Kuzmenko, Petterson Lafferty, Mikheyev, Miller, Besser. And that might be a combo I'd be interested in seeing moving forward, but – We'll see coming off the win. I don't know if there'll be too much change for the Vancouver Canucks tomorrow night against the Devils, at least to start, especially without a practice today. Bottom line, like this team needed a little bit of rest. Uh, They've played 25 games. I don't like using the fatigue thing as an excuse, but I think it is part of the story with their 500 run here in the last 12 games, as we've talked about throughout the course of the show. Like, It seems like the LA Kings who just came off of beating the snot out of the Colorado avalanche last night, last night, they seem to have two days off between every game. You know, they've only played 21 so far in the year that that might not be a huge gap, but their games have been much more spaced out. The Edmonton Oilers, they had the entire weekend off and aren't playing again until Wednesday. And it's almost a full bye week for them here mid season with a new coach. The Canucks will have more days off as December goes on, and they actually have a pretty good holiday schedule where they'll get a lot of time off then. But I think the schedule has played a factor into why this team hasn't looked as sharp as they did earlier in the season. Hey, it it plays a part into it. Yeah. It can't be your entire excuse or your entire story, but it is part of the story. But
1: that, that's also why I think this team can be a lot better, Dan. Like, yeah. I, I still think even when they were playing their best, I kept saying, I, I, I don't think they're playing the best hockey. They can still play better than what they're playing. And, you know, I'm going back and forth. Mike and Suri is texting in and saying, um, you guys are out to lunch in terms of the numbers. The Devils, for instance, their data, they have the third best five on five scoring uh, differential. They're, they're a good team analytically. I don't disagree. The public data has them being a very good team. Same thing as the Edmonton Oilers. Public It hasn't been a very good team. The chances they're giving up, though, the types of chances they're giving up Mm -hmm. are not being encapsulated. By the public data.
0: It's the same story with the, the Edmonton Oilers earlier this season. Exactly. And we had uh, Woodley
1: on, who went through the environment, one of the worst environments in the league, off the rush, and the chances they were giving up. The Devils have some similar issues, maybe not to the same degree. That's why they're still above 500. They're 23 and 22. That's why I still think there'll be a team that makes the playoffs, right? Like, I don't think they're that bad, but they may been giving up more chances than they normally would give up. But the, the public data does not give you the, the right picture to what you think it does oftentimes. I think it's helpful. You heard the coach with Donnie and Dolly push back on some of the analytics. Be like, hey, one game, you know, I, I see a guy play well, but the numbers don't show it. A guy didn't play well, but the numbers show that he did play well. Like, for instance, against uh, the Calgary Flames, you know who the Canucks' best player was by the analytics? Who's that? By by far, and had like a 80% expected goals rate, Noah Juleson. Oh, no. no Was Noah Juleson the best Canucks player against the Calgary Flames? Uh, absolutely not. But he had 80% expected goals for a percentage. Yeah.
0: If anything, like the thing I noticed most about Juleson's game on Saturday was he dived in a couple of times, and it led to some chances going back the other way. The puck exploded off his stick a couple times, yeah. too. Made a few mistakes. Hey, he got caught turning the puck over. There was an odd
1: man chance going the other way. But guess what? On that odd man chance, there was a two-on-one. There wasn't a shot attempt because Ian Cole broke it up. That doesn't count as a high-danger scoring chance. So yeah. in the data, it shows zero in terms of high-danger cho- scoring chances against yeah. Juleson on the ice. Zero. But there was a clear two-on-one going the other way. Yep. So, again, it's not doesn't fully show, especially how the game is being played now. This year, the game is really changing. You're seeing teams play a tighter game, and you're seeing teams that make more mistakes be the ones that get caught that, that cost them the odd man chances of something you're really trying to prevent. So, again, disclaimer on the public data, right? But it still gives you some idea. So, to, to the point we're mentioning here, the Canucks look tired right now, right? So, the first 12, 13 games of the season... The Canucks were 10, 2, and 1. Their PDO was 1.09. Remember, it was the highest in the league. Their uh, their score, was 48%, 20th in the league. Their expected goals percentage was 44.58, 29th in the league. Their high-danger scoring chance differential was 28th in the league at 44%. This is over their 10, 2, and 1 run. So right now, does anybody think the Canucks have played well over
0: the past 12 games? No. You can ask anybody, and I would hazard a guess they would say no. And Mike was texting in. Even he would say they probably haven't played all that well.
1: But over their past 12 games, yeah. the Vancouver Canucks, by the public data analytics, they're twelfth in Corsi, not great, but okay, fifty-one percent. Expected expected goals four percentage, they're sixth at 54%. Over these past 12 games, sixth in the entire National Hockey League. The high danger scoring chance differential. Yeah. They're ninth in the entire National Hockey League. Their PDO, 989, 24th over that stretch.
0: Tells a bit of a different story than what we've seen on the
1: ice by those analytics. Yeah, the Canucks over the past 12 games have been a top six to ten team in the league. Have they played like it? No, the stats are helpful because they show you some st- things, but people are still sitting here criticizing the team. And I'm also not seeing a lot of people point they people, can't that are be pointing, gospel. people that are pointing to the Canucks' really bad analytics the first 13 games are not pointing to these past 12 games. Very much. Yes. It doesn't quite fit the narrative, right? They're not saying, oh, Canucks will be fine. Their analytics have been great over this 12-game stretch. I'm not seeing that, you know, be said quite a bit. I don't put as much onus on these numbers, but it's more to illuminate kind of what you're seeing and, and to also impress the point. It goes beyond the numbers when we're talking about your principles as a team. The Canucks are good at doing certain things, and that's not giving up scoring big scoring chances. Yeah. When they get loose, it's bad, but they can be stingy. And I think that's what we have to look at in terms of their identity, Got to create a bit more offense, though, too. Uh,
0: We'll get more into uh, your Vancouver Canucks and some things happening around the National Hockey League next on Canuck Central.